Episode number 25. You're looking 13 and 1-ish. Mm-hmm. That's how good you look right yeah. now. Yeah. You should be tired. Sh- why don't you ever look tired, run down? You're always running around. You were up all night on Wednesday night at the Utah game. Then you came here. You got in trouble at home for coming so late. Mm-hmm. And then you and then you're at a late night. You got other jobs, and you're at a late night Colorado game. Yeah. Then you're up this morning doing a patron episode with me. But yet you look like fresh as a daisy every time I see you. What do you What do you use? What's your What's your secret, Jay Ham? Coffee. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What's your secret? Quit calling me at, at midnight asking me to do stuff. That's you're, my secret. You are. You just look great. Oh, thanks. You look super. Yeah, you don't thanks. look as good as the Washington Huskies at 13 no, and 1. Can't. They're going to be We got to talk about them, Of course. Right? 13 and 1. Bracketville today, by the way. Um episode 25, we have to ask the question, does Richard Sherman get his name on episode number? How do we feel? How does the how does the community feel about Richard Sherman these days? Um, fire truck sent to the nicest hotel in downtown Portland. What the hell happened? We have to answer that question today. Uh, less than three weeks to go now until Selection Sunday. Stretch run. Yes. Washington 13 and one. Just a, I would say just a win or two away from being a lock. My alma mater had a chance on Saturday night to really just just to padlock this thing and not have to be on the bubble, not have to have the discussion, not have to have the stress. And of course, no, no, they couldn't make Lose it easy for me. Yep. Couldn't make it easy for me on Saturday night. Uh, Washington Huskies take care of business. We've got guests on episode 25. Of course, Dave Om, And now it's getting really serious with Dave. Oh, yeah. Brackettville inside of three weeks to go. Dogs win two more. Does their seed change? He's going to answer that as of today. If the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, where would the Huskies be in the tournament? Dave Amon is the best person to answer that. You know the Lenardis more, the Palms, and all these other guys more. This guy is the most accurate over the mm-hmm. last five years. He joins us on every episode that's that we do on a Monday, that we release on a Monday He's going to tell us where the Huskies stand and what we're watching for to see if the Huskies can move up a notch or two. Also, Duke lost to North Carolina this week. Tennessee lost to LSU this week. Gonzaga keeps winning. So we'll talk about those teams in the top of the brackets as well with Dave Amon. Spring training baseball is full steam ahead. We know the M's are going to lose a lot of games this year. (laughs) But is help on the way? Baseball prospectus... Writer Jeffrey Paternostro just got finished ranking all Major League Baseball farm systems. Mm. Now, the reason I find this interesting is, for the longest time, their farm system has been considered the pits. Depleted. The real craps of Major League Baseball. Then he goes out, Jerry DePoto does, makes all these trades, trades away. I think a song was even created. Our all stars are leaving yeah. town. Leaving yeah. this town. Somebody, somebody saying that. Yeah, yes. I remember I, that. I think there was a song created yeah. over this. Um, so what I want to know is, okay, he brought, he sent all those all stars away, Diaz and Segura and Robbie Cano and all the rest. Right, he sent them away. Yeah, and he got all these prospects. So now I'm assuming that when Baseball Prospectus does their ranking of farm systems, that the Seattle Mariners, with all should their be. new guys, should be way further yeah. up than they were. We'll get that answer from Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus. Apple Tunes and Spotify, if you'd like to listen anywhere, any platform, basically, 
uh, where podcasts are played. We want you to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Throw us a bone, a little five-star bone. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month and have access to all of the bonus content available. What do you think the latest patron episode is? What do you think the latest bonus content is? Uh, that'd be you and I talking Husky basketball 13-1. and one. Talking 13-1. and one. Yeah. Talking Matisse Thibel, NBA. Jalen Noel. Jalen Noel, NBA. Mm -hmm. uh, and just how well they played in the two games against Colorado and Utah. What do we think of them trading baskets or, or just letting Colorado back into the game late in the game on, uh, on Saturday? That was the latest patron episode. We do some patron episodes. I do some patron yep. episodes. Yep. Some, for the people that don't find that Monday and Thursday is enough... The way to do this is you go to my uh, our webpage, MitchUnfiltered.com, and it says become a patron. You click it, and for as low as $5 a month, you have access to all of this enormous library songs mm -hmm. and episodes and interviews that I do with you, without you, right. and, 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 and a lot of good stuff. Yeah, up the there. whole catalog. That's right. If Monday and Thursdays isn't enough. For a lot of people, they say, you know what? Your shows on Mondays and Thursdays are so long, it takes me all week to listen to right. them. I wouldn't even have time to do the patron thing. Mm -hmm. But they're missing good stuff. No doubt. Because you're better with the patrons, I think, than you even are. On really? The, yeah. Thanks. You let it all hang. You let yeah. your hair down. Yeah, I do. I, I got a lot of hair. A lot. Uh, also, uh, follow us on the Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page. What would you see if you went to the Facebook page right now? Da, 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 da. Let me give you a, a hint. Okay. Lil, we call him Lil J-Ham. Yeah. Lil J-Ham is yeah. on the Mitch Unfiltered. Front center. Phil, Mitch, you said in the last episode mm -hmm. that you were at, which I had never heard you tell the story yeah. before, that you were at the slam dunk contest in Seattle. Was it at the Kingdom? 80, no, 87. Was it? it was at the Coliseum. Yeah. The, the All-Star Game was at the Kingdom. The yeah. dunk contest, three-point contest was at the Coliseum. Yeah. And I was a ball boy. How old would you have been? What 11, year was it? 1987. 11 years old, maybe 12 years old, 11 years old. Yes, underneath the the standard right there, the basketball standard. Yes. Yes. Okay, so you were a ball boy. Unbelievable by the way. Yeah. That and, that was and my Michael first year as a ball boy as well. And I started just a side note. Yeah. My first game ever as a ball boy for the Seattle SuperSonics 1986. Julius Irving's last game in Seattle. Really? He's doing his tour. It was my first. I started later a couple of games. I missed a few games into the season. Yeah. My first ever game as a ball boy for the Sonics was Julius Irving's last game in wow. Seattle. And I was freaking out. Did they give him like a gift? Did they do a ceremony? I, like I was a 11. Yeah, yeah I was 11. All I know is I was. Okay, but you did. So you did. You did Dr. J. Yeah. And then you did the slam dunk contest. Now, in the I don't know. Same that, year. But that wasn't, that was, so Jordan won that slam dunk contest, yes. right? Yes. And you were sitting there, and we do the episode, episode 24, episode Willie Griffey. Yeah, Willie Griffey. And before I know it, somebody is sending me a picture, and they've circled a little boy yeah. that's underneath the basket with a hat on. Yeah. And I don't know. Had you ever seen that picture before? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, what are the chances? I mean, there's a million kids oh, there. Oh, no. What are the chances that, that that's going to be Lil 
Little, not, little. Not, not little Penny. Yeah, a little, little, little J Ham, and it was you. It was me. It was totally you. It was me, absolutely. So if you'd like to see <laughs> little J Ham, you can go to the Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page, our new thing, the Facebook page, and you could see little J Ham sitting underneath. And I think Jordan is in that picture too. Jordan's in that picture. He's did he do this one? Yeah, he did the side lean. He's I, I think in that photo that I saw on the still frame, he's calculating his steps he's he's deciding where he's going to take off from so he's walking it off yeah as he's on the left lower baseline and i'm just watching oh. him like just, and you remember that vividly oh right? man oh I, I actually yeah side note we'll, we'll, no, no i no, love no. it i love yeah. it and so who was in was it was it two-man finals or how did it work no, did he, that, now that part you don't remember yeah was gonna, dominique in it that year we talked was about like that, Spud oh, Webb oh, in it that trying, year? No. i'm trying to think of if dominique was in terrence stansbury year. oh yeah he had the statue of liberty in that in that year ron harper oh yeah with cleveland oh yeah yeah there's uh, some guys mm-hmm. lil jayham yep on Mitch Unfiltered Facebook. Anyway, if you if you haven't caught up with all the episodes, we ask you to do so. Just click on them. If you haven't listened to them, it will help. Uh, there's a number of ways you can do that. You would do it on iTunes probably, I right? I would, yeah. Um, That's my platform. A real easy way to do it. Also, I don't know if anybody would want to do it this way, is you go to the website, MitchUnfiltered.com, and it's just listed, every one of them, one after the other, with table of contents, and you can just click on play on any ones that you missed. Mm-hmm. It will really It will really help. Uh, Mitch Unfiltered, uh, episode number 25, which we have still yet to name, is brought to you by Evergreen Golf Call, headquartered right here in Bellevue, philanthropic and managing over $2 billion in assets, four offices on the West Coast. Evergreen is the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Jag Land Rover of Bellevue, Range Rovers, Range Rover Sports, Velars of Oaks, not to mention the best value family SUV, the Discovery, with the third row family seating, more snow could be on the way. We don't know. Mm. Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Zeke's Pizza. You've just coached your kids' hoops team or soccer squad, and you're looking for a place to take the group. It's right under your nose. One of the 16 fabulous locations of Zeke's Pizza. I've done it with my teams a ton over the years. And Daniel's, USDA Prime, great seasonal seafood, my favorite bacon-wrapped scallops, four incredible locations from which to choose, Leshy Lake Union, Bellevue, and the spanking new downtown Seattle spot in the Hyatt Regency on 8th and Howell. Here comes episode number 25. Unfiltered. It's okay to have a game plan going in, but when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really kind of infuriates me, that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to. And yet, it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, let's start episode 25 with a few tweets, a few comments. Okay. Because they are all over the lot, and I want to mix them in to episode 25. Paul Martin tweets, just finished listening, glad you're back. 
Feedback number one is love the interviews. Feedback number two is stop naming the episodes. <laughs> Don't care if it's Maze or Griffey. No more names, please. Okay. That upsets me. It does. That tweet upsets me. Why is that? Because I like doing it. Oh, okay. Well, then- I like doing it. I don't. I don't know that people understand why I like doing it, but I like doing it. And pod isn't the way of podcasts that you can fast forward through things that That's you right. don't like. Move along. You don't. You don't Nothing have to, to listen. Yeah. Okay. And then the next tweet from Lowell Thompson writes: "Loving episode twenty-four. Keep talking about the greatest and naming the shows. <laughs> it's fantastic way to start the episode. Yeah. It'll drive me crazy if I go back and forth. So I just think." I really enjoy doing it because when is Mark Price going to be mentioned other than today's episode? Mark Price might be a winner. He <laughs> might actually be a winner, not just mentioned. He when, could be a winner. When we talked about Barry Sanders yeah, and when we talk about you know Willie Mays, yeah. w- would we have ever- Griffey, how, Gary Payton. How many, how many episodes could we have done together? In the the future of Mitch Unfiltered, sure. where we never mentioned the great say hey kid Willie Mays, because of twenty four, we talked a little bit about Willie Mays. For sure. I like I like reminiscing about the old time yeah, yeah. superstars. I really do. So it gives me. It's not a really about who which one we pick. Right. It's, it's about, more about the conversation. Yeah. Let's yeah. chat about this. Yeah. So I don't agree with the guy. So I'm going to tell the guy right now. It's not happening. Listening, Paul. <laughs> Hit that button. Yeah, keep it moving. Come on, keep keep hit, hit that button. Um, Woodski Ty writes, as much as he embarrassed me, usually when he opened his mouth, I do appreciate how good Sherman was. Mm-hmm. Episode 25, Richard Sherman. Scott Hilton with a Y writes, you know, Oliver Miller filled out 25 pretty well. Oh, don't Remember? say that. <laughs> of course, how you know, anything basketball related, Oliver Miller. Dan Whedon tweets, number 25, episode Barry Bonds doesn't sound right. Probably should be Richard Sherman, but that's awkward. Leaves you with Hall of Famer Fred Bolitnikoff mm-hmm. or former Sonics coach and NBA great KC Jones. KC Jones. KC Jones. I have a KC Jones story. Add it to the list. All right. Let me just do a, a side bar. Yeah. Do you have a Casey Jones story? Casey Jones was the East coach of the 87 All-Star oh. game. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm a ball boy walking around that locker room getting Dr. J, Larry Bird, Dominic Wilkins, Moses Malone autographs for the East squad, including Casey Jones. All right. Casey Jones isn't on a list of stories that people have had have requested for me to tell. Yep. Old stories. Yeah. But since his name came up and it's 25, in episode in 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 segment number five, the last segment where we tell our stories, mm-hmm. you're going to tell a, a one that I've been waiting to hear. I've, it seems like the whole world knows this except for me. I've I'm not a good this. storyteller. Yes, so you I'm, are. I'm, I'm, you're, I'm you're feeling be a fine. little pressure. You're going to be fine. You're yeah. going to be fine. I just need to know. All right. I will also tell. And you, it's golf. It's yeah. Casey Jones and oh, golf. Oh, I'm in. Uh oh. Oh, that image. I can't get it out of my oh, mind. Oh boy. I'm now now I'm not sure. I'm scared now. Let's I'll give you two words to to give I'll give you two words to um Don't say to headline. Two, don't to say headline. the two words are Charles Barkley. Don't no, okay. no. to headline just to just to keep in your mind for okay. segment number five. All right. Three words. All right. Fell face okay. first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, come on. It's an image. It's a visual. J. Ham, I will never 
A great <laughs> case joke. I'll tell it. I'll tell it in segment number five. All right. So what are we doing? Let's start with. Let's quickly start with Barry Bonds. Where are you on Barry Bonds? Seven hundred sixty-two home runs, seven MVPs. There are no. There is no disputing the numbers. Mm-hmm. Seven hundred and sixty-two home runs, seven MVPs. Two. Th- the one that I get can't get over. Two thousand five hundred and fifty-eight walks. Mm-hmm. People just did not want to throw the three, it to him. Th- there's a 3,000 hit club. Yeah. He almost got the 3,000 walks, okay? Yep. Yep. Um, but steroids, performance-enhancing drugs. I, I guess I don't know that it was ever really proven with him, uh, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And you know who else wore 25? Yes. Mark McGuire yes. wore 25. Yes. You can't go with Mark I mean, if you're going to go with Mark McGuire, then you go with Barry Bonds. Yeah. So are we throwing Barry Bonds out for the sake of the conversation? So here's here's where I struggle, and I and I totally understand this. We we talked about Willie Griffey. We talked about Willie Mays and, and Ken Griffey Jr. Right. in the last episode. Right. And we talked about Ken Griffey Jr. being, for some of us, the best baseball player we had ever seen in our lifetime. I'm raising my hand. To me, especially as a young guy, Pittsburgh Pirate Barry Bonds Unbelievable. was right there, if not better. Pre-steroids. It's funny because it in right D.C., there. when I worked in D.C., I remember having on-air conversations before steroids yeah. or anything. I remember that there used to be debates on sports radio stations. Who was better, Junior or Bonds? Yeah. And, and, the, and the answer was that Bonds was a very, very good outfielder, and Griffey was a great one. Was one of the best that ever lived, yeah. and that was the differentiating factor for people like me who yeah. thought I thought Griffey was better than Bonds. Yeah, in their heyday, I thought Griffey was better. than So Bonds. I, I was a huge. You know, I've told you this before. I was a huge baseball player and fan as a little kid. Trading cards, the whole deal at Mariner games, batting practice, the whole deal. Right, right. right. Bonds was my was one of my guys, as well as Griffey. Bonds and Griffey, I played center field, shortstop, pitch as a little leaguer, and those were my guys. I felt like Bonds pre-steroids or plead the clear or all that, he's a lock Hall of Famer, oh, yeah. no doubt no, about no, it. Yeah. So in my heart of hearts, this is a Bonds episode because I just, okay. I just really, really, really – was so enthralled by that guy as a young child. Are you chapped that he's not in the Hall of Fame? No, I'm not chapped. I, I, let me let me finish the part. The, the second part of that is, then as a aging player, and I understand the whole league was that way. So this isn't a, not, not the whole league. Well, a lot of the Junior. league, a lot of the league okay. went that direction, right? And in historical context, in baseball. There has been cheating and people doing doping of whatever means it was historically throughout history. And a lot of people that are in the Hall of Fame currently that played in other eras cheated. Yes. So in my heart of hearts, I'm like, this is still bonds to me. I was never a McGuire guy. Uh huh. But it's hard for me to say. Barry Bonds is the episode. We'll get to that. So you got to make a. You got to make. A, I will make. I will make a. Commitment. I'm going to let you make the determination. No, no, no. You did that last time. But, but okay. Okay. I'm just giving you my first. So he's thoughts. still in the. He's very oh, much to me, in the he's conversation. Absolutely in the. No in matter the, what. No, no matter what. Okay. He's in the conversation. All right. So we're throwing Mark McGuire out. Yeah. We're throwing Freddie Bolitnikoff out. Are yeah. you are you old enough to remember Freddie Bolitnikoff? Yeah, yeah. Wide receiver. Do you remember? Do you, what do you remember about Freddie Bolitnikoff? Nothing. He used to have highlights. He used to have. 
the stickum, the glue all over his pants. Really? On the outside. Oh, yeah. Not, he, unabashedly. I mean, and I, I, I guess it wasn't. I guess it wasn't. It may have banned. been frowned upon. It wasn't banned. This guy had stickum all over his hands. Freddie Bolitnikoff. I used to love it. Like yellow, gross-looking glue. Like nice, like pine tar down like, his <laughs> the entire. That's he, great. And he just he had that stuff yeah. all over. He wore twenty-five. He's out. Casey Jones, face first. Oh, we're going to call him Casey Face First no, Jones. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. He's out. Uh, Mark Price. I used to kind of pattern my game after Mark Price. I'm not too proud to admit it. Um. He's out. Gail Goodrich mm-hmm. is out. How about Bobby Hubregs? Ooh, now let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you something. As a local guy, yeah. Bob Hubregs might be the nicest man I've ever met in the history of my life. Well, that's insulting. Well, you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, could you just put me second on that list? No. But Bob Hubregs, I, I don't know that I've ever met a more gentle, caring man really? than Bob Hubregs yeah. before he passed. I mean, he was really kind to me, played golf with him. Wow. Uh, just a great Husky 53 Final Four. Uh, you I'm know. bringing his name up. Thank you. I appreciate I'm bringing that. his name up Thank because you. the last episode, you and I made a a colossal mistake, right? Without Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, we didn't even we didn't even mention Marshawn Lynch. Now, of course, it's not going to be Marshawn Lynch when it's Willie Griffey. Right. But the fact that you and I and it was a it was a weird episode. It was late at night. Yeah. You were I could tell you were preoccupied. Yeah, I yeah. was a little pre. I think I had had yeah. some real uncomfortable dental work done that day, and I went yeah. to the game and we messed up. We, we did. didn't we didn't bring Marshawn Lynch into the conversation yeah. for twenty four. Yeah. So I'm not. He wouldn't have won, but no. He but I'm not making the same mistake with Bob. Who breaks? Right. All right. Thank so you. there, I mentioned him. Earl Watson, <laughs> David, Win- the gate. You called him on the uh, the, on the patron episode this morning. You called him the gate. The gate. David Wingate wore twenty five. Yeah. Uh, David Bell, Mike Moore, Chris Bazio. I oh. used to make fun of his chins. A lot of chins You're on getting- Chris Bazio. <laughs> How about Mister Scrabble? Mark Zebchinski. They wore twenty five. Um, and the other guy that people mention, the other guy that people mention, and this is a little bit of a bittersweet one. Who's that? that? People mention Curtis Williams. Oh yeah, sure. Wore twenty five yeah. for the University mm, of Washington. Yeah. What a tragic story that was, in a lot of ways, by the way. Um, so, and then there's, it's the I'm telling you, so far it's the worst number, and I don't mean any disrespect to any of these right. people. They were all great, right. but when you've got like Jordan, LeBron, Willie Mays, Ken yeah. Griffey Jr. And now we're at we're at Richard Sherman versus Gail Goodrich. You know, Mark Price is in the conversation. And that's all because of Barry Bonds. Now, this could be it a is. very easy one with Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. So then there's Sherman. How do we feel about Richard Sherman? How do you feel about Richard Sherman? Okay. Is it a complicated no, answer? No, not for me. Tell me. How do you feel about Richard Sherman? Hometown. I'm saying hometown. Seattle Seahawks. Absolute hero. Okay. Ring of Honor. There's no, there's no debate in my mind about Richard Sherman. I mean, okay. one of the best defensive players ever. Does he bring up any negativity in your of mind? Of course. What does he bring up? Of course, just for some of the antics, for some of the sideline rants, for some some yeah. of the other yeah. things. Yeah. Sure, all that. Yeah. As a competitor, as a Seahawk, one of the best ever. Okay. One of the best ever. You could talk about the acrimonious. "Quote unquote departure." Yeah, that's a Seahawk thing. Okay, so for me, for me, yeah, Richard Sherman is 
is right there. He's 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 one of the best Seahawks ever. Okay. So how does that relate to an episode being named after? We'll get to that. We get to we're here. Oh, so are we, are we naming the episode? Yeah. Okay. So if I had to, because of the whole Barry, we, can we can we limit can we limit the field a little bit? Well, to me, it's Barry Bonds versus Richard Sherman. Okay, good. That helps. That's a big help in its own right. Okay. Who Briggs is out. Who Briggs is out. Curtis as much Williams. As, yes. Out. Yes. A okay. lot of great other okay. people. Okay. All right. So the gate. The David Wingate <laughs> is not in. He's not in. So now Went that to we Georgetown, bad, bad. Ooh, those were some like, fun. Did not, got Syracuse. me in trouble with Jim Beheim. Okay, another story. We're not going to go the there. List. Okay. So some. Right now we're between Barry Bonds and Richard Sherman for Mitch to decide. What? That's it. That's all I get. Yeah, you you threw me out there in episode twenty four. I named it. I'm throwing you back out there. I, I gave you my opinions on both of these gentlemen and their careers and what I think of them personally. And people will disagree or agree with my take on them. But now comes the time for you to step up to the plate All right. and make a decision. All right. You're putting me on the spot. I, I, you didn't tell me this before we started well, rolling. that's not the point. Okay. Um, you put me on the spot, and I'm going to say it this way. Okay. Uh, they both have their positives. They both have their negatives. Correct. We all have our positives. Correct. We all have our negatives, and me included. And we all like to think that people will remember our positives more than they'll remember our negatives. And so I'm going to use that as the litmus test. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And when I think of those two guys, uh, first of all, to the people that tell me it's never been proven that Barry Bonds did steroids, I would just say, Hey, I'm not going to be the judge and jury on that, but I will I will go ahead and defer to the Hall of Fame writers, mm-hmm. the voters, and they have they have they've found spoken. him they have found him guilty. Yeah, they've okay? spoken. So I am going to find him guilty of using performance enhancing drugs. Okay. So I have to look at his positives, which is exactly what you said, what he was before any of that stuff came mm-hmm. along versus what it meant to the game and what it meant to him and what he looked like to me and what I felt about him during those last five, six, yeah. eight years when he was chasing Hank Aaron's all-time record. Hank yeah. Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Henry Aaron. Mm-hmm. Let's just say he's going to have an episode named after him. Hank oh, Aaron. Oh, for sure. Okay? And so I, I, I'm trying to weigh one versus the other. Versus Sherman. What were Sherman's strengths? We know him. You mentioned him very eloquently there. He was as big, if not the biggest piece, of the Seahawks finally bringing a Super Bowl crown the Lombardi mm-hmm. Trophy to Seattle. Mm-hmm. He was outspoken. He was great. And in the early years, the outspokenness was something that was very yeah. likable. Yeah. He was everything. He was he was what the Seahawks were. He was in microcosm what the Seahawks were. Yep. And then in the later days, I hated, I hated the antics. I hated the thing in the press room with uh, with Jim Moore. Mm-hmm. I hated the thing on the sidelines with his defensive coordinator and his teammates. I hated that stuff. But I think in this case, his positives much more outweigh his negatives then Barry Bonds' positives outweigh his negatives. Mm. So if you're putting it on me, I guess I have three choices. My choices are to go Bonds, episode Barry Bonds. Mm -hmm. I could go episode Richard Sherman, or I could go episode Richard Bonds or Barry Sherman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Yep. I'm going Richard Sherman. I'm going episode Sherm. Episode Sherm is my determination. 
Okay. I like it. Um, and we've got a lot to do on episode Sherm. We've got Jim Beheim to talk about. We've got Robert Kraft to talk about. We've got Zion Williamson to talk about. We've got the Huskies to talk about. So we're going to get to a number of those things, plus two fun interviews. Dave Amon from Brackettville, who's going to tell us where this, the University of Washington Huskies are right at the very moment, at this at this precise moment. Where do they sit in the NCAA tournament, and what can mm-hmm. they do, plus the top seeds? And we're going to talk about the organization that is the Seattle Mariners. All of Jerry DePoto's work, what did it mean to boosting the right. reputation of the overall farm system of the Seattle Mariners? So this part of episode Sherm, episode 25, is brought to you by our fourth sponsor. I am thrilled to have him, Northwest Premier Wealth Manager Evergreen Golf Call. What a terrific fit for Mitch Unfiltered. Founded three decades ago, homegrown, headquartered right here, downtown Bellevue. Super successful, spreading down the West Coast, Portland, San Francisco, Napa Valley, offices in all three, plus obviously the headquarters in Bellevue. Not a commission-based firm, a group that invests right by the side of their clients, managing over $2 billion, with a B, dollars in assets. Headed by Tyler Hay, voted one of 40 under 40 by the Puget Sound Business Journal. He loves basketball. He loves hoops. He thinks he can play. He'd be mistaken. If you go to the Bellevue Boys and Girls Club and you watch the kids play hoops like I do on Mondays and Thursdays, you'll see Evergreen Golf Call on the back of every jersey. It's part of a philanthropic commitment that Evergreen Golf Call has to its home community, which I love. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Jay Scarangella, Jay Ham, writes, discussion with Scott Eden. Incredible. You know Scott Eden was. Oh, yeah. It Great is. interview. Story of CJ and Lionel dancing on the ceiling. <laughs> LOL. No way. What did you think of the Scott Eden interview? What did you think of the piece on Tim Donahue, you know, 17 or whatever, 12 years later? Yeah. So I'll, I'll bifurcate it into two pieces. One, the unbelievable job from Scott Eden and the entire team that investigative journalism to do that to be committed to that to to uncover and read documents and you know the dedication that it takes to do that to, yeah. to create something like that was yeah. was phenomenal yeah secondarily i would say that your interview with him was fantastic oh thank you but that's w- not what i'm looking I for i know it's not I'm I, looking for more thoughts on the whole Donahue thing. I, I know I don't, you I'm are. not looking for kudos. I, thank, but thank you. you. Yeah, thank great. You. Let me do. You asked me a question. Okay. I'm answering okay. the question. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so it was, you know, listening back to it, it was really interesting to hear the progression of the conversation that you were having with him and, and really taking everybody through what happened and how it happened and what he uncovered and when and, you know, just, you know, was it was he fixing games versus was he just kind of picking games exactly right. that's was the, been the influencing you just nailed the, the question for years yes was, was he, he just giving influence inside information right. or was he actually trying to uh, impact the outcome right. of the games which we have now found out he was impacting the outcomes of the games and so mostly what i 
am now fast forwarding through the interview is the response from the NBA and the press release that they sent out. The NBA sent out a rebuttal to Scott's piece. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see. I didn't even see that. Which really didn't rebut anything. Oh, it was okay. more about the NBA trying to save face on their own internal investigation, which Scott mentioned and you guys talked about, which talked about discrepancies in any of the calls that Donahue made in those games. And it, it outlined the games with Dallas, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. I just, I think that the fact that this is being brought up again shows you how impactful and how historic the Donahue thing really was. And I think you guys closed it by saying, you know, with gambling really being on the precipice of being legalized and the NBA on the forefront, it's just a fascinating, fascinating conversation. Right. For people who haven't listened to ep- episode 24, go back yeah. and listen to that. And a lot of people listen to episode 24 may have just listened to the banter, not the interviews. Right. I don't know how many people listen to the interviews. Yeah. I-, I thank you for the nice words. I didn't mean to be flip about it, but yeah. um, well, you, I... I agree. I thought, and I, it wasn't me. I mean, he told a very, I mean, his right, whatever his, his interview was, his writing is a hundred times better. He's not a broadcaster. Good. The one detail, and I really urge people to listen, it's actually two segments of episode 24, Willie Griffey. But the one detail that I can't get beyond is he was fixing games. Mm-hmm. He was making calls because he was trying to favor the team that he had picked. So he was he right. was telling his friend, here's who I'm picking. He wasn't betting on the games. Right. He was saying, here's who I'm picking. For no money at all. Three great. And I don't mean no money. I mean, listen, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let me be sensitive to what money is versus what money okay. isn't. No, you said it right. Okay, you yeah. said it right. The guy was telling his buddy, here's who's going to win with the spread. Yeah. And then he's going to the arena, making calls to make sure that that happens. Others are winning hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. on this information, and the guy is getting paid three grand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. can you believe? If your information if you did, works if, out for us, you get two to five grand. That's right. If we bet on it, we're making hundreds of thousands for that one, one game that ultimately results in hundreds there, of millions of there dollars. There is information out there that there oh are people my. right now that are living out there that got the information of his picks yeah. and made in aggregate over a hundred million dollars. So so let me just say this about <laughs> Tim Donahue. If you thought he was an idiot yeah. for doing what he did, that doesn't that doesn't even give justice right. to to how big of an idiot he was. Right. That wasn't this that wasn't his big idiot move. No. The big idiot move was three really three grand could you have asked for seven <laughs> You realize, the guys were making millions, millions. of dollars. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Lines were going up and down. And, and, and that this was, guy, the, that two was a fast Two or three thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, Come on. You know, he, so he did it for 40 games one year. Imagine that. He made and and he and I think he hit 88% or something. So let's say he hit 35 games out of 40. Okay. He got 70 grand. He got to, he went to jail. He got 70 grand. Others who didn't go to jail are sitting around right now with $100 million because of his information and his fixing the games, and he got 70, well, 
Actually, it went up from two yeah, to five. Well, yeah, that's why I said so, that's why I was given uh, the range. Right, right. So right. maybe it was a hundred twenty-five. Right, but the, st- the guy's <laughs> not in the Mensa Club. Let me just tell you that right now. Who he, is doing his oh, financial advice? No. He needs Evergreen Golf Club. That's right. He, that's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get to uh, Zion Williams. Okay, we touched about it in episode Willie Griffey. Yeah, but I want to talk about it again because it's bothering me. And I loved what Charles Charles Barkley went off on the NBA. I just happened to be watching on the NBA and TNT. I got it. First of all, what's he doing wearing old shoes? He could wear new shoes every single game. The rumor is, whether it was superstition. Now, you played. I didn't play. Yeah. But And I don't know how often Michael Jordan, I guess Michael Jordan may have changed shoes every night. But apparently, this guy is wearing old shoes, and that contributed to the blowout, the Paul George Nike sneaker blowout, because he didn't change his shoes, and he has access to anything he wants as a Nike. So as there, a, as a, there's, as a there's the point that you just made that's the most important point. He has access to whatever he wants. So the fact that he, if, in fact, he was wearing old shoes, yeah. it was because he felt comfortable wearing those those shoes. shoes that's it it's not you know what charles said about hey i used to change every week and some guys yeah. change every game which is which is true right at duke or at other places you have the ability to change shoes at your discretion and it's at your discretion if you say i want to wear something different you know i'm going to break them in for a practice or two and wear them in the next game it's at your discretion the fact that Zion Williamson was wearing those particular shoes and had been wearing them for a week is a PR spin from Nike to say they were older for whatever reason. You know, he had been wearing them and it's a blowout and that's not typical of the yeah. product and the quality. Right. And also maybe to the comfort of the athlete. If he liked the way they were feeling, broken he had broken in. them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Outside of that, it's just a mis- uh, unfortunate you have know, you ever seen something like this happen? In yeah, your I've seen, I, have oh, you seen shoes oh, just for just sure? Oh yeah, totally yes. come apart like yeah, that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that was unbelievable. It I doesn't mean, it like happen, exploded. Yeah, it doesn't happen often, but it yeah. certainly happens. What about the whole? He should now sit out. He has dumb. A knee. I can't stand it. Dumb. Why does that bother me so much? Because it's it doesn't bother you, but it really bothers me. It's just dumb. I hate that. It it, it everybody's. Now, going back to the Charles, and this isn't my take. My my take isn't everybody's obsessed with the money and that. That's what Barkley said. I know. Said. That's oh, you, what, so you saw that. I, yeah. Well, I saw the clip of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not of the opinion of it's the obsession with money to sit out, even though that's what everybody's saying. Stop playing college basketball. You don't need college basketball. Just wait till the draft. Do all that. that, that that's not for me. He went to college to play college basketball. To join a university, to be a part of something, yeah. to try to win something, to try yeah. to be yeah. great and be in the history. Like, yeah. forget it, it's more than just getting the paycheck or being drafted number one. It's about having yeah. your name in the history books and being part of something special. One at shining Duke. moment. Yes, one shining moment. The ladder, the the clips, These, the, the clippers of the you know the scissors to tear the nets down. I almost right? swore. I literally almost really? swore. I oh. and and I just thought I didn't want to have to make you check the box. No, don't check. Make me check yeah, the box. That's it. I, I what do basketball swore. players do? compete they play basketball they compete. they're telling this kid if he's i mean okay if he's not a, if he's hurt i yeah, mean if he's that's truly one hurt that's a whole he's truly going to come back at 70 he's not right. going to limp out there like willis reed no. right if he's a hundred percent they're telling him okay you're going to be the number one why would you play why would you play what what is that a serious question why would you play he's a basketball player he's at duke let me tell you, you play basketball 
right? He's got a, he's on the number one team in the country. Why would you play? Really? Why don't other guys come in because they have to come in for the one year and then like three games in go, you know what? I'm not playing anymore. Right. I played my one year. I'll wait to be the number one draft next year. I'll be in the lottery next year. So I'm not going to play. I'm going to protect my my interest by not playing now. L- Nobody does no that. No one does that. Let me, let me tell you something. For, for people that were good enough and people that weren't good enough, when you have a a passion for a sport, whatever the sport is, and especially if the sport can pay you money professionally down the road. When you're a little kid, you immediately go from little kid moment to professional moment. We talk about this all the time. You're in your backyard. You're at the playground. You're wherever. You're counting the shot clock down to make the game-winning shot in the NBA Finals or whatever. You're the World Series. You're, I did you're, it. Yeah. Right. When you're a little kid, you jump to the biggest thing that you could absolutely do and if it's the nfl and the super bowl that's what you did okay you get a little older then your your vision becomes a little bit shorter where you go all right i want to excel i want to make the high school team i want to do that then it becomes i want to i want to be a college player and i want to play in the nca tournament and i want to cut down the nets and then it becomes i want to get drafted and yeah. be an nba player yes. and win a chance yeah, that's yeah. the progression yes why would anybody yes. think that zion williamson is going like i don't want that dream something Ooh. i've been thinking about that's the I dumbest thing i've ever I heard i love you it's so dumb i love you do you think zion williamson is going to be a, a sure hit pro because when i first watched him when I first watched him, I was like, no way. The guy can't shoot, and he's overpowering guys that are going to be insurance sales. Yeah. No, that's yeah, maybe a thanks. bad example. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> that thanks. Maybe that's a thanks. bad example. That was insensitive. <laughs> that was really insensitive. I, no, no, no. I want to stop. No, no. I want to stop. I thought when I first saw what I – sorry about that. I didn't mean that the way it came out. Um, you better, that's, not, that's you better the, not edit I'm that out. That yeah. out. Um, that's what I first thought. I thought, okay, yeah, he's like a bull in a China shore, shop. A China shop. Yeah. Um, and these guys that he's that he's manhandling yeah. with his athleticism, he's not going to run into those guys in the NBA. Right, it's be right. different. And he, if he can't shoot, then what's it? That was my first thought when I first mm-hmm. saw him play. The more I watch this guy play, the more I'm kind of obsessed with how quick for a big man, how expl- how the first step, oh, first step, how is quick. Un- for a guy of that size. Yeah, and then you know everyone wants to kind of compare him to Barkley because he was a bigger guy. Well, if you want to do that, I remember when Barkley played at Auburn. I do remember. I'm old mm-hmm. enough to remember him playing at Auburn, and I remember him being very quick for a big man, for a big man, but not like this. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm here to tell you, not like this. Mm-hmm. If if Charles Barkley for a big man was a an eight or a seven on a scale from one to ten in terms of quickness for yeah, a yeah. big man, first yeah. step, this guy's a fifteen. Yeah. I mean, he is. It's un and and his leap. He leaps. Oh. I, I remember going to Memphis for the NCAA tournament to see Syracuse play. It was the Sweet 16, and in the other game, Oklahoma was playing and Blake Griffin was playing. Mm-hmm. And I had watched him on TV, but I'd never seen him in person. I'm watching him in that Memphis Grizzlies play, wherever the Grizzlies yeah. play. I'm watching him play against, I think, North Carolina in the Sweet 16. I'm watching this guy come. I had never, I don't think in that to that point I'd seen a guy that was that big that his first leap oh, or yeah. second Blake leap. Blake Griffin was... Just so explosive, explosive off the floor, yeah. just in leaping. Yeah, this guy has the quickness of a point guard, the explosive first step of a point guard at what is he? Three hundred pounds, two hundred eighty pounds, two hundred seventy-five, whatever pounds, he is, yeah. and he can go up in the air like Blake Griffin. 
I'm a, I'm mesmerized by the guy. So I've changed my mind. What do you think about? So it? here's the here's the thing, which is it's really I'm so glad you brought up Blake Griffin, because if you think about Charles Barkley or even Sean Kemp, and I know yeah. Sean Kemp was bigger at six ten, but that yeah. freakish athlete um, and Barkley. But now, really, when you're talking about a guy like Blake Griffin, the NBA game has evolved to be three pointers off the dribble right in the yeah. last eight years yes so even when Blake Griffin was coming out he he really wasn't a great shooter and still even to this no. day is not a no. great shooter line drive right. no arc on his right on his shot yeah but his athleticism oh. is what carried him especially early in his clipper years yeah. and now he's he's gotten better as the a second jump you miss and then he jumps right the, the second jump after he misses to go back and get the so rebound quick and pogo stick yeah pogo stick right He's gotten better, Blake Griffin has, as a Detroit Piston of, of shooting, becoming more skilled, shooting the basketball. Zion Williamson is Blake Griffin 2.0. He's the version that is already advanced to know that shooting the basketball and having range is important. So now he has more explosiveness, more leaping ability, more physicality with a better jump shot. Yeah. It's just, it's unreal. Well, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how – I mean, he's obviously going to be good. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And you always say it depends on wh- who Where you the, go. Who's the coach who's is. The coach, what's the, the system. What, what's the system. All and of so it. Forth. Yeah. I, I want to get to a couple of last things this segment before we get to our fun uh, interviews and then our storytelling segment. Yeah. Which you get center stage. But I, what did I tell you? Oh, Casey Jones. Face first Casey Jones. Um, Robert Kraft. Yeah. Robert Kraft's arrest, mm. prostitution arrest, mm-hmm. dominated the headlines. And I know, and I heard it on Twitter immediately, and I, I'm not stupid, yep. that a lot of listeners, if not all the listeners of this podcast, are wondering, how's Mitch going to handle this? Mm-hmm. And I've been obsessing. I really have been obsessing. Since the moment I learned in the news, I've been obsessing on what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it, how much I wanted to divulge, and my situation and how it relates and so forth. And after thinking long and hard about it, about different directions, my decision is for me to go down that road with the side streets, I'm not ready for that. I'm just going to be very sincere with you. From a health perspective, I'm not ready to go public and have that conversation. I don't know that I ever will be. And I just don't think having the public conversation right now about this as it relates to me is healthy for me. Having said that, Jason, I do want to say a couple things on this. I I don't think it would have been fair to our listeners Mm -hmm. for us to pretend it never happened and just not discuss it. And I'm, I'm transparent when it comes to that. I will say a couple of things. Number one, if the women in this case are indeed victims of sex trafficking, which has been reported. Yep. I'm assuming the reports are true, but sometimes there are nuances and things that are either inaccurate or other things that are not reported. My heart breaks for those women mm-hmm. and the others around the world that are victims of sex trafficking. I have learned a lot. When I tell you a lot, oh, sure. I have had yeah. classes. I have done a lot of research. I have learned a lot about this international problem that we've had, and I've done so over the last two years. And we definitely need to come up with some sort of a solution. 
and I and I would like to be some small little tiny mm-hmm. part of that solution. Um, and so I would say let's let the process play out. That's first. Yeah, As course. somebody who's been in a process, let's let it play out. Let's hear the details. As for the consequences on what the NFL should do, I don't think there's any question about it. If the process comes out that what's reported is exactly what happened, and these women were and are who they portrayed them to be, victims and sex trafficking slaves, if you want to call it that, then he ought to be severely reprimanded by the NFL. Severely reprimanded by the NFL, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, What is that? It's a huge fine. I know he's a wealthy, wealthy guy, and that's not going to hurt him. A huge fine, and maybe more importantly, a suspension. I don't know what the suspension should be. Is it a year? Is it eight weeks? Is it 12 games? Mm -hmm. For me, my inclination is that a guy like that who's got all the money in the world and lives for his football team, taking that away from him, saying, you can't go to the headquarters. You can't go to the games. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have you watched a Patriots game oh, and they show Bob? Yeah, of course. And how much does how much enjoyment with his family and his friends does do you see him taking in his his Patriots and telling a seventy four? I don't know if he's seventy four. I'm just for some reason that number is in my mind. Telling him we're taking that away from you for a year mm-hmm. is, I think, a lot more hurtful than any fine. So I think he should be severely reprimanded. But I also think we should let the process play out so that we can find out. Exactly. If and and by the way, there's no guarantee that we're ever going to find out exactly the details of the situation. Right. And I and I and I respect your uh, candor in what you want to be forthcoming with. And I know that there's details about your own situation that you may not want to divulge, and and that's absolutely fine. But I will I will ask you this because there are people that are coming out right now and saying. Bob Kraft should have to sell the New England Patriots that it's an egregious uh, public distrust and not the NFL brand that he, he shouldn't be a part of it. If, in fact, again, we're, we're saying all the allegations are, in fact, true and yeah. are, are played out to yeah. be so, yeah. that this is, this is a serious situation. This is a, so, you know. You you have been in a very similar situation where people have. I did not get suspended. You and did fined. not get suspended. Five. No. You were. It was taken away from me. Exactly. Everything was taken away. So yeah. the yeah. fact that people are having this conversation, saying it should be taken away from Bob Kraft, how do you feel about? Well, that? that's a slippery. You're asking a very slippery question for me because I know that the, either way I answer it, if I answer it honestly, I know that I'm going to get pushback. Right. I don't think the man should lose everything, for. A mistake, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know what's going on in his world. Yep. I don't know about and look. None of this even compares slightly, even the closest comparison to what those women have to go through. So I know that. Right. I don't know what he's going through. I don't know what he's gone through since the loss of his wife. I, I have no idea. I, if you're asking me whether they should make him sell the New England Patriots and take that part of his life away forever over this. I don't think that that is mm. a rational solution. Mm. I think he should have a severe punishment. Sure. I told you what I think it should be. Um, and I think he should be part, maybe used to be part of the solution. You know, he, he carries, he's, he, he, he's yeah. on a big stage. Yeah. He's a big name. He could help. Yeah. And maybe he'd be willing to help. And, um, and so I think that that's more appropriate. But to say, hey, let's take that 
portion of his life away, I don't know. Uh, as someone who had that taken away, right. I think that's a little that's a little big. That's a little big for me. That's my opinion. Um, and then the other topic that I want to touch on on episode Sherm mm-hmm. is my old friend Jim Beheim. Yes. And oh, man. Uh, I say my old friend Jim Beheim. Anybody who listened to the radio <laughs> yeah. show over the years uh, knows that um, I didn't have the greatest relationship with Jim Beheim when I was a kid, when I was a, mm. a student there. And we can go through that story some other day. That's not for this episode of what went on between Jim Beheim and me uh, when I was a kid, when I was a student. Um, it left me with a very bad taste in my mouth for him personally. Right. Um, I have known a lot of people that know him well, as you would imagine. And you know that I haven't had any contact with him since 1989, which is 11 and 19. It's 30 years. So I can tell you that I have been told by more than a handful of people that he has changed. Mm. And he's not the same person that he was when I knew him. Sure. Which makes me feel better about him. Mm -hmm. Um, All that being said, what happened last week breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. It, and I'm not talking about him now. I'm going to go from the family and right. the victim. Again, I am only forced to comment on what has been reported. Right. And, it's, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that's a dangerous thing. Right. Dangerous thing because sometimes details, I don't know what's not being reported. What's being reported is, and what the police are saying, was that this was a terrible, terrible accident. That Jim Beheim was involved in a terrible, terrible accident that he did the best that he could do under the unique set of circumstances, I'm sure you know, car out in the middle of the highway, yeah. having hit the, the the people in the car, trying to scramble to the to the medians, to the sides of the road, but it was just over a, a hump where the oncoming cars don't see it until the last minute. He saw it at the last minute, swerved to miss the car, which was in the middle of the road, and hit the guy. And <clears throat> I can't imagine, 51 years old, my age, the yeah. exact age. Uh, I can't imagine what that family's going through. Mm. And the moment of silence, and from what I can tell, everything that the Syracuse and the upstate New York community did for that person and the memory of that person has been great. And I hope that, I, I just hope that there's some sort of peace that that family can come to. Um, having said that, uh, there was also some some raised eyebrows about whether Jim Beheim should have been coaching on Saturday night against Duke. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have a, an opinion on that. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. The only reason, if all the facts are as they claim, that he wouldn't coach, for me, would be out of respect right. to the memory right. of the victim. Right. I, I shouldn't say victim. Yeah, victim. I guess victim yeah, is right. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, and if you believe that by him being on the sidelines on national TV in a game against Duke three or four days after this terrible accident um, showed disrespect to the victim, to the deceased, to their family, then I'm not going to argue with you. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Here's what I think I know, and that is that nobody can know unless they're in that situation mm-hmm. what this man is going to have to deal with for the rest oh, of his for life. sure. And I don't mean to, again, undervalue the life that was lost and the pain that they're going through. Please don't take they're this the tied. wrong way. They're tied. This guy is going to have nightmares about this 
the rest of his life. 100%. And if it was truly an accident, my heart breaks for not only the family, it breaks for him. A guy that I've never really liked breaks for him. Uh, I don't know how many years left he's got on this earth, but that moment of hitting that guy on a, on a, at midnight or 11.30 on a snowy, icy night yep. and taking a 51-year-old's life by accident, what he is going to have to deal with, I, I don't know how he would be able to get through. I, I think about my own situation to wonder, how do I get through mm. all the people that I've disappointed in the sadness and the bitterness that I've caused? How does he get through that split-second moment? Right. How does he live his life? Well, it shows you how delicate life is, right? In in a million different ways, it, uh, an instant, in a moment, a decision, a a thing. Jim Beheim's driving home after a game and thinking about whatever, a play, what he's going to eat, right. whatever. Right. And in the next instant, he's accidentally yes. murdered someone. Yes. I mean, you just can't, you can't comprehend this. He's accidentally killed somebody. Absolutely. Excuse killed. me. I said yeah. murdered. Yeah. Killed somebody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where he said in the post-game press conference, there's nothing he can say th to make the family feel better. I mean, you cannot replace a life ever, uh, but certainly the guilt and the life altering moment that, that happened is, is going to be with him. And I, I think about him being a hall of fame coach and, you know, national champion and all of that in his mind, I, I'd be curious to know what he thinks of himself and what is going to think of himself for the rest of his life. It's, it's awful. Yeah. And, um, it's just one of real life's cruelties. Truly, and and I, you know, I hope and pray, by the way, yeah. that we're not going to find out and pick up this week a newspaper that says an investigation is going into sure. whether whether Jim Beheim acted appropriately or or is at fault. And I right. just I hope that that's not the case. Right. But I can tell you, as a guy who has cheered for his teams for mm -hmm. all my life, but never really liked him because of some things that. I saw and I witnessed and the way he handled me. Yeah. Um, I was on a treadmill on Saturday night at three o'clock, a Saturday afternoon. Upstairs, I was at a, on a treadmill watching the beginning of Duke Syracuse. And when they showed him come out and that that uh, ovation and they showed his wife. Yeah, oh, yeah. With the tears coming down. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they showed the embrace between him and Coach K. Man, I, I lost it. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, it just... You hear it's it's so cliche. You hear how certain things put games into perspective. Three days or four days earlier, I'm sitting here counting the moments until Syracuse plays Duke again. I can't wait. Mm -hmm. This is the all everything game. They've already beaten him at Duke. We yep. got to beat him at Syracuse to lock down our NCAA tournament. That's all I. I mean, I, I had made this game in my mind five days earlier was like everything. Yeah, I, I was I was making my schedule on Saturday. When do the kids have games and what do we got to do as a family? And I right. got to be in front of the TV at three o'clock as the and then this happens. Right. And it's like, oh, my God. How unimportant, truly. Exactly. Uh, okay. Um, you're up. You're up. What a crazy couple of weeks we've had weather-wise in the Pacific Northwest. And 
I don't know, there's talking about maybe more snow and icy road conditions heading our way. And safety, as I like to say, is Land Rover and Range Rover's middle name. You simply can't be safer, a safer motor vehicle on a slippery and dangerous road than one of the many models at Land Rover of Bellevue. Range Rover Sports, Range Rover's full size, the Velars, the Evokes, the Discoveries, the all-new Defender will arrive in the U.S. and Canada in 2020. You just can't beat Land Rover of Bellevue. I love the place. I've leased or owned just about every car that I've driven over the last 12 years from this great dealership. That's how much I believe in them. The sales squad, beyond knowledgeable and helpful, no stress that normally comes along with the shopping for a new or even pre-owned car. You've got Dimitri running the place from the Robbie Cano commercials. He runs it to perfection. Service department, fantastic. Open seven days a week for your convenience, whether you got your car there or not, and a pre-owned selection, which is terrific. Just off of 520 on Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. We are Bracketville bound. Here's our guy Dave Amon with just 21 or so days inside. Let's say it's inside of 21 days to go until Selection Sunday. And I, I want to know, Dave, being the, the greatest bracketologist in the country, and that's a mathematical fact, over the last five years, our guest, Dave Amon of Bracketville, has been more accurate in terms of how many of these teams that he gets right? He typically gets, you told me, one wrong, maybe some years none wrong, maybe some years two wrong. The number one bracketologist in America over the last five years. So what's it like on Selection Sunday for you in terms of your anxiety level waiting to see how close your final predictions are to the actual results that they, that they unveil on CBS? Well, a good question, Mitch. Uh, actually, the older I've gotten and the longer that I've done this, it's probably a little less stressful to me than it used to be, simply because I think you've kind of learned to understand the process and you feel pretty good about where you're at. And then you just sort of come to realize that I'm trying to replicate what I think a group of very qualified individuals in the selection committee is going to do, but there's always going to be one or two teams that are right there, and you could be in the committee room, and it could be a very close vote privately as to which team ultimately gets in and which one is just out, and neither opinion is necessarily wrong, and that's the way that it works. Right. So. A lot of my time in that closing few days, in addition to trying to make sure you feel like you've got those last one or two teams, is also trying to dig in and, and make sure that you believe your seedings are as accurate um, as can be, because that's part of the process, too. One of it is to see how many of the at-large teams that you get, and then the other part of it is to see how well you do in relation to the seating that the actual committee comes up with. Dave Amon is our guest. He's the best. Uh, bracket Guy Dave, if you want to follow him on Twitter, make sure you go to his website multiple times each week because now as we get down to the stretch run, 
And when I say stretch run, we've got two weeks of major conference play still left and then a week of uh, conference tournaments. At least that's the major championship or the major college agenda. You go to bracketville.wordpress.com. There's a lot of people that are tweeting me and asking me when they see me, Mitch, where's Washington right now? Is Washington a lock right now? And what are the games we're watching and we're rooting for to allow Washington, should they keep winning, to, to move up? And I tell them, go, go see the seed list on Bracketville because it points out, like, the one that's up right now, although you're going to change this on Monday morning, You've got Washington as the 28th seed, the 28th seed, which essentially makes them the lowest seven of the bracket. And you've got them chasing Buffalo and Cincinnati and Mississippi State. And you've got chasing Washington, Baylor, St. John's, and Ole Miss. Well, I assume it's just simply let's look at the games that those teams play and if somebody behind Washington wins a very good quality, a high-quality game, well, they could jump Washington. And if somebody in front of Washington loses, let's say, a low-quality game, Washington could move up. Generally speaking, I know it's a lot more complicated than that, but generally speaking, isn't that what we're looking at these last few weeks? Yeah, I think, Mitch, uh, that's a pretty good sort of quick hit, if you want to say that. You know, we've reached the point in the season now where – we're in this last three weeks. So a team's profile, if you will, is much more defined at this point than it was even a month ago or a month and a half ago, say, coming into the new year. And what I mean by that is at this point, you don't necessarily see those huge leaps maybe that you saw earlier in the year because a team has a much more complete picture of who they are. Now, there's still movement that will happen, and you just alluded to that. A lot of times, teams around them, what opportunities are ahead, how high can they go? That's a question I get this time of year. Uh, You know, somebody will win a couple of games in a row, and they'll say, hey, if we win out and we win our conference tournament, what's our highest seed? Yeah. And I always say that's a very difficult thing to try to project because – it's not like they're the only team playing. Right, so what if right. everybody ahead of them right. also wins out? Right. I mean, and realistically, right. that's just not possible. Everybody right. can't win out. Right. And it, it's always a little amusing, but it's fun, and I get it because they're fans. And so they're always thinking, well, if we do all of this, and I'm thinking, have you won seven games in a row all year? <laughs> and so, you know, it's kind of one of those things, and I get it, but it's sort of how the whole thing comes together but in a nutshell you are correct i mean those teams closest to you at least in a short synopsis have a uh, a better impact on uh where you're at and where you might be able to get to. okay well if that's the barometer of whether we're allowed to ask you whether fan bases are allowed to ask you what happens if we quote unquote win the win the next seven, have you won seven in a row? Washington fans are allowed to ask it to you, Dave, because Washington could answer that question absolutely. They've won 12 games at one point or 11 games or 10 games in a row in their conference schedule. Um, So I I noted, going into Saturday's play before they beat Colorado, before the Huskies beat Colorado, you had them sitting on your 28th line, and that would be the lowest of the seven seeds. 
They beat Colorado. Of course, they don't get brownie points for beating Colorado at home. I know that behind them, you had teams that pretty much are in front of them that pretty much won, except for Villanova. I'll ask you about Villanova lost again over the weekend. But Virginia Tech won. Mississippi State won. Cincinnati won. And Buffalo won earlier. Those are the teams that you have Washington behind and chasing. So are we safe to say that on Monday morning, you're going to look at Washington the same way as you looked at them to start the weekend? Or are you moving them down because somebody is going to leapfrog them in your seedings list? Uh, No. The way it looks right now, Mitch, uh, they're going to start where they were on uh, the last update, which is at 28, um, which would be the final seven seed, if you will. Um, and so I think that's a realistic place where they are right now. And we'll see how this next road swing goes for them. You know, they have kind of one of this no-win situations coming up with a trip through Cal and Stanford. Um, if they can get through that little last tricky setup here, uh, then they get uh, the two Oregon schools at home to close out the regular season. And then, again, we'll, we'll see how that looks um, relative to everybody else around them. So I feel pretty good that, you know, they're they're in that fairly solidly into that 7-8. Now the question whether they could get up to the 6 line, uh, we'll have to see how things uh, play out. And then I, I think they'll be about where they are unless, you know, they don't have a good road swing here through uh, right. Central Cal. You're talking about can they get into that 6 seed in the next week. That's what you're asking. And, and it seems to me that if Washington fans would like to see Washington win a game that could could propel them a little bit, could could get them out of, let's call it the quicksand that you have them. You've had them in quicksand, Dave. I know that you have, you have no disregard and no dislike for Washington fans, but you got us in quicksand the last several weeks. How about, how about a neutral floor win in Vegas over Arizona State? That probably is the one remaining, conceivable remaining game that could give them a little traction, yes? Yeah, I would say so, particularly if Arizona State continues to take care of their business and solidifies themselves as an NCAA team, which I expect that they will, but, you know, you you can't just lock that type of thing in. But, yes, you are correct. Arizona State's sort of the other... Uh, counterpoint in the Pac-12 that you would say, hey, we would get some credit for that game. Um, and then, of course, finishing out with the record that we've talked about before, only losing one conference game is still a very good feat, even in a down year. So I, I do think that the committee will take that kind of overall excellence into consideration. It's just when you start pushing – above where some of the teams are that you're looking at that could be on that six line or trying to get to the five. I just don't know this year that the Pac-12 is going to offer enough to allow them to move up without some additional help. All right, well, we'll see. We'll see whether you're right or wrong. I have my own views on that. You and I go head-to-head a little bit on that. We'll wait and see. Because it's called Mitch Unfiltered, and I'm the host. I get to ask a self-serving Syracuse question. Syracuse fans are asking these questions just about every year at about this time. I look at them, and I think that they're nine and five without looking directly at their resume. I think they're nine and five in the conference with four to play. They have a win over Duke. They have a win, and it was at Duke. They have a win over Louisville. 
They don't have a lot of great other victories. They've got some chances coming up. They don't have any great non-conference wins except maybe the one at Ohio State. It just seems to me with a soft bubble, maybe I'm, I'm just biased and I can't see objectively on this, Dave. If Syracuse were to win one more conference game and finish 10-8 and eight in the ACC with a win at Duke and a win over Louisville and a soft bubble, I got a hard time believing that the committee will not put Syracuse in even if they falter along the way with their other games. you agree or disagree with that? Where we stand today, I would probably agree with you in the sense that this is the way I put it in the last time I did a little bubble talk update, okay, is that Syracuse is in a very good position, particularly, as you mentioned, relative to where we are with the bubble this year. So what that means is Syracuse is in good shape. I couldn't quite move them off of the work-to-do list into the should-be-in list because I've just seen Syracuse be a little quirky this year. So you don't necessarily feel good that, yeah, I feel really confident that they're just going to breeze what they need to do. That said, for Syracuse to get in real trouble, they're going to have to, quote, mess it up down the stretch here. So as long as they don't do that, you know, for example, you really don't want to go lose at Wake Forest. Right. Um, and you don't want to lose out and then lose, go in five games on a five-game losing streak, right. Right. you know, and then put yourself in a position where that first ACC game suddenly becomes eh, where Syracuse has been the last couple of years, yeah. where you're sweating yeah. it out, waking up on yep. Selection Sunday, wondering – not what our seed might be, but are we even going to get our name called? So, you know, I think beating Wake is a, is a must, obviously. You don't want to lose that game. But, obviously, going 2-2 two and two for sure pretty much locks them in, I believe. If they only win one and that game being Wake, assuming that they don't maybe lose their first game in the ACC tournament, I would probably feel the same way. Yeah. What gets really tricky is, and I just have this sneaking suspicion, that we're going to see a couple of haymakers thrown our way during championship week. So, for example, if VCU wins out and wins the A-10 by multiple games with a couple of their non-conference wins and their non-conference and their overall strength of schedule, if they don't win the A-10, let's say Davidson beats them or Dayton or somebody like that, you could be down a bit. And so that's where if things get squeezed, you just don't want to be one of those last couple, two or three teams sitting there hoping that somebody doesn't take your spot. Let's move towards the top of the uh, of the grid, if you will, Dave. Dave Amon is the voice. You know it. He has been so kind to us. He is the most accurate bracketologist the last five years going. You can see all of his work at bracketville.wordpress.com. Make sure, sure, sure you follow him on Twitter if you're a Twitter guy like me. Bracket Guy Dave. He's got great stuff every single day. He tells you what to watch. What are the big bubble games? What are the games that are going to impact the field? Let's go to the top of the bracket um, and ask you about this North Carolina team that really seems to be catching fire at the right time. Uh, They beat Duke even though it was without Williamson most of the game. Uh, they dismantled – who was it over the weekend? Was it Florida State over the weekend that they they dismantled? Uh, yeah. They're just winning games easily. They're going on the road and winning games. Boy, it looks the part. 
of a team that's surging towards a number one seed. Um, and then uh, the two-parter is, what about Gonzaga? Is Gonzaga going to move by Tennessee in the next seeding list? They're already a number one. Will they be even a stronger number one? Give us a sense of of, of some of those teams. And then also, I, I know you're not going to remember, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll remind you, Kansas and Texas Tech over the weekend I thought was a very illuminating game. What about those teams? Okay, well, Mitch, let's kind of take them in order that you mentioned here. Certainly, we're still in a situation right now where we have eight teams, if you will, in play for the number one seed line. Who are they? Still have Duke sitting at one, Virginia at two. Gonzaga now moves up to number three. And number four tomorrow will be Kentucky. Okay. And then you'll be followed by Tennessee, North Carolina, Michigan State, and then Michigan at number eight on the seed list. That's sort of the eight right now that are in play for the one line. And you mentioned North Carolina. You could make an argument right now that probably North Carolina and Kentucky are playing as well as anyone. When you look at their overall profiles, that would bear that out. And certainly North Carolina has put itself in a position where they are back into that, not only the race to win the Atlantic Coast Conference, but also to get back into that number one seed picture. So they still got another game with Duke to play. And then we have the whole ACC tournament. So there is a lot of positioning still to be figured out, which makes this last three weeks exciting. Yep. And, and that's a good thing for college basketball, and it's a good thing for us fans because there have been a couple of years, quite honestly, that with two weeks to go, pretty much the number one seed line was locked up except for maybe one spot. So there is a lot at stake for all eight of those teams as we uh, come down the wire here in this last three weeks, and it'll be big. It, some of that could very well be decided in the conference tournaments where the committee has a team slotted if it comes down to one or the other. You know, one's a number one, and then the other one's a number two in the other region, and they wait for the championship game to go, and then that's how they plug them in. Uh, before you run on me, uh, I mentioned Texas Tech and Kansas. I watched a little of that game on Saturday night, and boy, oh boy, maybe I just happened to stumble upon Texas Tech at the right or the wrong time. I looked at that first half, and I said to myself, God almighty, I don't want to play Texas Tech. I don't know who wants to play Texas Tech the way they defend. I know they're a limited offensive team, but on that particular night, at least in the first half, they were great. Uh, what about the sinking Kansas and the, and, the, and the rising Texas Tech, Dave? Real couple quick thoughts on that, and it's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. So this will be an interesting situation for the committee because Texas Tech is obviously playing well. They sit very highly and favorably on the NCAA's new net rating, so you have to figure – that although that's a, an organizational tool more than anything, that it, it, it's certainly something that they're taking into account. You mentioned Tech being very consistent on defense. If their offense shows up, they're going to be a very tough out anywhere along the way that you go. Kansas is going to present the committee with an interesting situation because their profile strength of schedule, quality of wins, all look like a team that's still a two to three seed. But, and here's the caveat, some of those wins came with a team that's no longer playing. So Azabuki is out for the rest of the year. 
at least at this point, Vic is out, and we don't know whether he's going to be back. So if we assume that he's not, or if he doesn't come back, the committee is going to have to evaluate and take into some consideration where they see Kansas as to the team that's now currently constructed and currently playing, which is still very good, but maybe not right there. So in my adjustment, thinking that way for tomorrow, Kansas is actually now going to be appear on the four line. That is it. Okay, so give me one game. Uh, we have time for one game. One game, if you can watch one game in college basketball, of Dave Amon of Bracketville, bracketville.wordpress.com, Bracket Guy Dave on Twitter. If I said to you you're allowed to watch one college basketball game this week, it would be what? Mitch, if, if I were going to look ahead at this week, and we certainly have multiple games, you've got Duke at Virginia Tech, which is a big game, and you're Syracuse at North Carolina. All of those are certainly big games. But if I'm going to point one, you had mentioned Villanova earlier falling a little bit, and they've kind of hit a three-game snag here. And so we're trying to see whether they can right that ship. I will go with Marquette at Villanova in the middle of the week because Marquette's trying to really even strengthen their profile further and think about getting to the two-line possibly. And now we have Villanova that's sort of in that situation where they don't have a lot of high-end wins because their non-conference wasn't great. So where are they going to fall out? And so this game at home against Marquette is sort of not only a big chance to stem that tide, but also give them that kind of win that can stabilize their resume. Okay, perfect. Dave Amon, bracketville.wordpress.com. Bracket Guy Dave on Twitter. The best, most accurate over the last five years bracketologist of them all. I'm hopeful that the next time we speak, you're going to say, boy, Mitch, Washington went on the road and did its business and got lots of help from some friends, and I've got them right now as a number one seed in the NCAA, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Maybe six. Maybe we can, maybe we can crawl them somehow a week from now up to a six seed. What do you say, Dave? Let's try to do it that way. You go take care of your business, and we'll <laughs> see what happens around you, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you, Dave. Great job. Thank you. So the Washington Huskies and Colorado Buffaloes are playing on the Pac-12 network on Saturday night. You're home watching and craving some Northwest-style pizza and a craft beer or cider. How about Zeke's Pizza? Zeke's Pizza delivers. No third-party deliverer. It's Zeke's who comes right to the door with anything that you want, including beer or cider. Zeke'sPizza.com to order online or download the Zeke's Pizza mobile app. I think there's 16 locations of Zeke, soon to be 17, perfect for watching a game and enjoying a great meal. I loved watching the Super Bowl in Capitol Hill, the NCAA tournaments around the corner, and I've already committed to going down to Tacoma, watching the Huskies play in the tournament there, and maybe going to some of the other Zeke's locations for other games in the tournament. By the way, the Tacoma location is 1702 Pacific Avenue in Tacoma. And by the way, I think Zeke's Pizza is the perfect spot to take your youth teams after a game or practice to hang out, have lunch or dinner. I've done it a ton of times. My basketball teams, baseball squads, you name it. They'll happily string a series of tables together and provide a great environment for all your boys and girls to enjoy each other and some great pizza. 
Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. If you love baseball, and I love baseball, and it's almost baseball season, spring training is up and going, then you probably, probably love Baseball Prospectus, baseballprospectus.com. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline to tell us how Jerry did with his acquisitions of baseball prospects is a guy who was a part of Baseball Prospectus and baseballprospectus.com's organizational rankings of 2000. And 19. Jeffrey Paternosto is with us. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, where would the Mariners organization be in terms of prospects before all this, all these trades during the offseason that Jerry made? So we had them as the worst farm system in baseball. Uh, I think they were second worst the year before. Uh, DePoto has never been shy about trading any prospects that he has lying around for whatever he can find to improve the major league team. He's dealt a lot of prospects for relievers. He's done, you know, close to the majors guys for other teams, close to the majors guys. Um, he's, as you're well aware, a very active GM, but he struggled to also uh, draft and develop like the high end, like top 50 type prospects. So finally, when this uh, sell off came, he managed to get a few of them at least. Do you think he got enough? We'll go through them a little bit and what makes, and we'll ask you in a moment where you have them now as a result of all these trades. But when you look at the individual trades, did he get enough in quality prospects, both quality and quantity from these trades? Well, it's still a very shallow system. That wasn't going to get solved with these two deals. Um, that's going to have to be more of a more of a medium-term thing, at least, in the way they, they draft and sign international free agents, and even, in some cases, the way they develop these guys. That wasn't going to get solved just by trading James Paxton, uh, James Paxton, Edwin Diaz, and Robinson Cano. Now, as for the individual deals, the Cano and Diaz deal is interesting to me because a lot of that was salary relief. Uh, they probably could have done better just trading Edwin Diaz on his own. Uh, there were rumors that the Phillies had a better prospect package on the offer just for Diaz and possibly Diaz and Segura. Um, so what they were getting was salary relief and then two pretty good but not elite-level prospects. You know, Jared Kalenic, who was the Mets' first-round pick, you know, sixth overall last summer, he could yeah. get there. Yeah. Uh, we don't know yet. Um, I saw him in the Appy League this year. It, it looks good, but he is a, you know, a 19-year-old cold-weather prep center fielder, and those guys have uh, both long and difficult developmental track records, historically speaking. All right, so Jeffrey, you say that, that baseball prospectus would have had the Seattle Mariners as the, the word, dead last a minor league system in all of the sport. And as a result of the acquisition of Kalenic and some of the other guys, Sheffield and Dunn and whomever else they got in these deals, that managed to bring them up to where in your rankings? So we had them 17th. We had sort of the top of the tier of below average systems. The biggest issue with them is still depth uh, in prospects. If you look to like a con uh, comparable sell-off in recent years, what the White Sox did when they traded uh, Chris Sale and Adam Eaton and eventually Jose Quintana, you know they took a bigger jump, but they had a little bit higher starting point. I think we would have had them somewhere in the low to mid twenties, and you know they dropped jumped all the way into the top ten after those deals. Um, they got more of a return. They got more high-end. 
prospects as well than the Mariners did. You know, it's a different era. Uh, teams are certainly valuing these prospects more highly than they were even a couple years ago. It's harder to pry the really elite prospects from the you know the Mets and the Yankees of the world in these kind of deals. Just to give our listeners a sense of why they went from dead last to what you say is 17th, Jeffrey, I'm looking at your numbers right now. Three of the top four guys, Sheffield, Kalenic, and Dunn, right? All mm-hmm. all acquired in trades. So that's that's numbers one, two, and four. Only Evan White sits there as somebody who existed in the Mariners system before he made this series of trades. And then number five, I think, is the is the draft choice that they made, the pitching draft choice that they made in the uh, in I guess it would have been the 18 June amateur draft, right? And you could even go down to number six, Eric Swanson, who also came over in the Yankees deal. So five of their six top prospects on our list were not in the system this time last year. And it does make a difference. It really does. And, you know, Sheffield uh, definitely has impact potential if he can stick in the rotation. And even really as a reliever, if he ends up there, the people on our staff that have seen Eric Swanson really like him uh, and argued him for him to be higher than this. Um, He's just a little bit older and has had some injury issues. So I'm being a little more cautious. He's a guy that could certainly take you know meaningful major league starts for them this year and be a as good as a mid rotation starter. Why was Sheffield somewhat controversial in terms of how people viewed him? Some people that I spoke to directly after the trade on the podcast loved him, thought he was a close to a top end starter in major league baseball. Others kind of scoffed at his year last year and thought, hmm, maybe a three or four starter in Major League Baseball. He pitched on Sunday for the Mariners, by the way, in a spring training game and retired uh, at least uh, two shutout innings, had four strikeouts in those innings for whatever that means. What's your take on Sheffield? So, I mean, it depends. Both those people are right, I will say that. Uh, It depends on what day you see him. You know, he's had durability issues himself. He's a shorter lefty. So the knock on those guys is always they're going to be enough playing on the fastball. It's a big fastball. Uh, you know, it's mid-90 feet plus slider. I've only seen it plus. I've gotten reports that it's better than that. And, like, it's a pretty good changeup, too. So he's got three pitches. He's got a full starter's repertoire. It's just there's a bias against short lefties. And he's never really had, like, the fine level of command you want from sort of your top-of-the-rotation starter. So... You know, there might be a bit of a learning curve in the majors because, you know, 95, if it's not in the optimal location, these guys can all hit it. So he's going to have some further development probably in the majors. And there's always going to be knocks on if the command doesn't get there. You know, he might end up a reliever long term. But as a lefty, if the fastball takes up, all of a sudden it's like a plus plus fastball, plus plus slider out of the pen. You know, that's a that's your Edwin Diaz replacement yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Jeffrey Paternostro is with us. A baseball uh, prospectus. What will Kalenic be in the perfect world, Jeffrey, when he comes to Seattle in, I don't know, two, three, three and a half years? In the perfect situation, he he plays where and hits where in the lineup? So he's a potential five-tool center fielder. He'll flash every single one of them. Yeah, He's probably, if the power really comes and all gets into games, I have my doubts. Um, you know, he could hit fifth in your lineup maybe even third you know it's like a 260 average 20 home runs 20 stolen bases can go get it in center field I don't see like superstar upside but he could definitely could be a plus regular that makes a couple all-star games in the you know in the seasons where the home run totals a little higher a few more doubles drop in the gaps 
again, he's 19. He was playing in the Appalachian League last year. It's a long way away. I, you know, I wonder a little bit about the the swing and the pitch rack against upper minors guys, but you know, that's, yeah. that's questions you can ask of pretty much anyone in the low minors. You know, the upside's there. We had him, I think, in the in the 60s on our national 101. It's just I tend to be a little bit personally conservative with new draftees. We don't have a of a professional track record, and it's a very different game. Even if you're a college player, it's a very different game, let alone a you know a prep bat from Wisconsin. My last question, and it's a it's a sad question because when I look at your guys's list and I see, I see Kyle Lewis all the way down as the eighth best Mariners prospect. It makes me sad as a Mariners fan, just because at one point, after they drafted him and uh, before he had all the injuries, wasn't he a top thirty or top forty prospect in all of Major League Baseball? Maybe even higher than that. Uh, have has everybody lost hope that Kyle Lewis will be anything special on the major league level? I mean, he looked healthier this year. You know, he still only played a little over a half season, but you know, he played. He got to Double A. It's you know, the tools are still there. He just like lacks explosiveness. It doesn't pop like it used to. And that's you know, he had a very traumatic knee injury. You know, we think about position players as being generally less risky than pitching prospects, and broadly, that is certainly true. <laughs> by far but you know these kind of things do happen it's it's incredibly unfortunate um he's still i think sort of feeling his way back to back to full game speed and, and not only the injury itself you know for a guy that's going to be 24 this july he's lost a lot of development time and he's not going to get that yeah. year plus of development time back so yeah. it is a little bit of a race against the clock now the tools still flash you can always have uh have hope he finds it, and, you know, the further he gets away from, from the knee issues. But, I mean, knees, knees for those kind of players, it's sort of like explosive up the middle types, can be a, yeah. you know, can be a big deal. Snake bitten. First there was Danny Holson. <laughs> Danny Holson for the Mariners years ago who had nothing but arm and shoulder problems, and now Kyle Lewis. Uh, how many games will the Mariners this year lose? Uh, uh, we have to do our staff predictions, I think, fairly soon, and I'm absolutely terrible at this game. I did successfully – predict Jacob deGrom as a Cy Young Award winner last year, but that was like my only uh, Got it. my only claim to fame, I think, in the predictions. Um, you know, it's a weird division. A lot of this comes into sort of like strength of the division. Um, and it, I think it depends on sort of how Oakland and Los Angeles shake out right. over the course of the season. Right. My guess is they're going to be bad, but probably not bad enough to like get a top five pick in this era of lots of teams going for top five picks. They yeah. strike me as sort of like a you know, 70 and 92 kind of team thereabouts, maybe low 70s, picking yeah. around, you know, yeah. the 10th pick in the draft, something yeah. like that. Thanks very much, Jeffrey. Uh, enjoy your work. Always have enjoyed baseball prospectus, and thank you very, very much for being with us on Mitch Unfiltered. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. Excellence. I know that everybody talks about it, but how many people deliver? How many restaurants deliver excellence time in and time out? Daniel's Broiler does. In fact, that's what I like best about Daniel's, the excellence. I love the USDA prime steaks at Daniel's Broiler. Don't get me wrong. The seasoning, the fact that the steak's flavor is seared into the steak in a broiler that's set at 1,800 degrees. But you want to know what I love even more? The fact that every time I order a USDA prime steak, a weight person comes up to my table with that little flashlight and asks me, have we prepared your steak to your satisfaction? Every single time. Every single customer who orders any of Daniel's world-class steaks has that happen because your needs come 
first. Daniel's not only there to serve, but to serve to your satisfaction. Locally owned by the Schwartz family and located at South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency at 8th and Howell, I love Daniel's Broiler. It's a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Jim Swain tweets, Mitch, are you going to try and get some of the coaches of the small schools that make the NCAA tournament on Mitch Unfiltered like the old days? The answer, and I've gotten a few of those. People like that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Oh, that's great. Um, I'm going to try. Yeah. The best I can tell you is I'm going to try. I, I don't know how these guys are going to react and their SIDs are going to react to right. a podcast calling from Seattle to get them on. I will do my very best because it's something that I looked forward to every year. And I look forward to, again, if I can get the cooperation. Now, the, the funny thing is I've done it for so long that a lot of those SIDs, it's, it's a lot of the times it's the same schools over and over yeah, again. Yeah. Sometimes the, 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 the coach, by virtue of taking a small school into the tournament, gets another job. Right. But the SIDs say, oh, yeah, you've been doing it for 20 years. We're right, in. Right. We appreciate the fact that, you, yeah. that you've shined the light on some of those. So I look forward to trying. I guess we'll know in a few weeks mm-hmm. whether I'm able to do it. Uh, Dwayne Patterson writes, great episode, Mitch. Really enjoy the stories. Only downfall about the episode, Willie Griffey, is now I've got dancing on the ceiling <laughs> stuck in my head. Uh, I'm trying to figure uh. out what I'm supposed to do at work here. Um, uh, Michael Brome, I think it is, tweets, was it just me or did Jason D. Hamilton drop in that he thinks Oprah is hot? No, I did not. <laughs> you, you, go back and listen. Okay. You threw in, you think Oprah's hot? And I was like, Oprah was hot back then, meaning that her program, her show yeah. was the biggest thing going. Yeah. Yes. But you tried to throw it in there like, you think Oprah's hot? <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Uh, Nick Allen asks on Twitter, uh, and by the way, Twitter, I'm Mitch underscore Seattle. You're Jason D. Hamilton. Does Matisse Thibel have a legit shot at National Defensive Player of the Year? I'm going to tell, oh. Is there such a thing as National Player of oh, the yeah. Year? Oh, uh, yeah. Defensive Player oh, of the yeah, Year? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you going to say? 100% he does. Do people enough people know about him? Jay Billis was right on it's him. That's exactly that, right. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's an upcoming story that's going to be in Sports Illustrated about Matisse Thibel. Oh, really? Uh, yes. That that's uh, on the horizon. So there's going to be many, many people that are going nice. to be exposed to Matisse Thibel, and he absolutely has a chance to win National Defensive Player of the Year. And he's got a great chance. He doesn't need that many more steals to get catch 20, Gary Payton. 20 to tie, 21 to break. So 20, and he's got four regular season games. Yeah. Do they all count? All the games count? All the games count. Okay, so he's got four regular season games. He's got another one at least in the Pac-12, probably two or he's three. He's got six games minimum. Oh, and then he's got NCAA or NIT. He's got six oh, games minimum. Oh, oh, come on. He's getting, six games come minimum. Come on, come on. It's his. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's probably the best defender in the history of the conference. Yeah, and you were talking about... Well, I don't know. Maybe there's a big guy. You're going to tell me there was like a there was no. like a Bill Russell type. I know he well, went to San Francisco, but yeah. there was somebody else that... Uh, Lou Alcindor was pretty good. But Defender? Was he the greatest? Well, he was blocking shots. Yeah, you know, but taller than everybody. But else. playing against insurance sales. But jeez, oh, here we go. Here uh, we go. I'm gonna edit that out. We're fighting. Okay. You right. want me to edit that out? No, okay. I don't care. All right. Um, maybe the best defensive player. Yeah, I hope yeah. he. I hope he wins it. Um, Jeremy Wagner tweets, Mitch, you teased the fool in the rain story. 
in the trial episode zero. Yeah. It's time that you share it with the faithful 40 and a half. It's, that's actually probably a really good question. I mean, it's been 24 episodes. You probably should tell that story. It yeah, it's not it, a big story. It though. doesn't matter, though. Okay. It's a good story. And it probably should have been. Do you know the story? Uh, yeah, I okay. was actually here when the guy sent the thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's not like some sort of um, award-winning story. No, no, don't, story. don't, don't, but, don't. But it's, it's, so when you do podcasts, when I got into, there was. So, Are you telling this right now? Oh, no, you don't want me to tell no. it? No. I don't want you to tell this right now. I want this to be one of the stories later on down the road. It's, 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 it's worth a full story. No, I could tell it in t- two minutes. Can Fine, I? whatever. You, tell the. Do you story. really want? You really want me to wait no, another whatever. episode? Go well, you gotta, you gotta decide if you're gonna tell the Casey story, this story, my well, story. Well, your story's definitely coming. Okay. Up. Well, what are we doing here? Well, I'll tell this one real quick. Okay, great. Real quick. So when I, when I got into the podcast thing, I didn't know the, I didn't know what I was doing, and I still don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I don't. I know. I'd never listened to a podcast before. Right. right. And so. I hired consultants. I hired somebody to help me with the software. I hired different people um, to help me uh, get myself going yes. and learn the ropes. How do I distribute it? How do I publish it? How do I edit it? Yeah. How, how do I use the software? I mean, how do I put this stuff together? I, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And so I found myself hiring, um, except for the consultant who's a Seattle-based consultant, people I didn't know off of the internet, uh, yeah. upwork.com or sure. something. You know, somebody helped me with the website that I from Wisconsin, a kid right. from Wisconsin or Ohio. Uh, another another person helped me with the software of the computer on how to edit. That was a big one. He was in L.A. Mm-hmm. His name was Joe in L.A. I found these people on websites. I'd never met them. They mm-hmm. said, hey, I'll do it for 20 bucks an hour or whatever, right, 100 right. bucks an hour. Okay. I found the voice, Mitch Unfiltered, somewhere else. Yeah. I never met any of these people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so- when I was in the consultant's office in Seattle before this whole thing started, she was like, okay, what are you going to use for music? Oh, I said, I'm going to use my music from my show. She's like, what What music from your show? And I said, well, I started with Fool in the Rain, and I, and I use this a lot, Sinatra a lot. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, no, you're not. I said, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. And she said, um, you can't use that stuff. It's copyright rules. And I said, is it true I really, really, really can't? Right. That I that, uh, can I plead ignorance? Can I do it and plead it? She yeah. says you can't really use that stuff. You can't really use that stuff. You don't have co- you don't have unless you get the rights from the. I'm not going to Led Zeppelin asking for right. the rights of Fool and Rain. Yeah. So I said, Oh my God, what am I going to do? So I play a lot of you as you know the music that I play coming in and out of sure. segments is kind of nondescript music that I that I have bought the rights to mm-hmm. online and whatever yeah. cheap. Um, but I was like, what am I going to do? So I'm talking to the guy in L.A. who I've hired to help me with the, the software to edit the show mm-hmm. before I've started. And we start talking to each other about our lives. He's like, tell me about yourself. As I go, oh, geez, really? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, you know, he's had he's had he actually had a rocky time in his world. Uh-huh. And he's going through a tough time in his role for completely different reasons. And I tell him I'm going. So we start to kind of cry on each other's shoulders. And then later, and we start to develop this little bond, even yeah. though I don't know what the hell, I still don't know what the hell I'm doing with the, with right, the editing. Right. And he says to me, um, what are you going to use? Is the, you want me to build an open for you? I was like, well, I, that's another problem. Right. I got I got this music that I like to use called Fool in the Rain. He said, I know Fool in the Rain. I said, I can't use it. He said, you've come to the right guy. And I, and I, and I, I really appreciate you 
hearing me out about what's going on in my world, and I appreciate you sharing with me what's going on in yours. And you just happen to stumble upon a guy who can help you. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I love to do music. I'm an amateur kind of hobby music guy. I play 10 instruments. I synthesize, I, whatever. Yeah. I, I produce music. Yeah, yeah. He said, I will make you a fool in the rain replica that won't quite be fool in the rain. And it won't quite be fool in the rain enough that it you won't, the only copyright you need is from me. Right. And I'm giving you full <laughs> life. It's yours. It's a present from me to you. It's a get well present. And I said, okay, let's hear it. Yeah. He said, give me, give me a couple hours. Really? A couple yeah. hours? A couple hours. And he wrote and he wrote back, here it is. Tell me what you think. And to my ear, and I'm not a music aficionado, yeah. Yeah. it sounds like Fool in the Rain yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, close. Yeah, anyway. it's close. Yeah, yeah. And there's the story. That's the way I got the open. That's where the opening of the music came there from. There it is. There's the story. There it's it not, is. Yeah, I, that's the story. Came from Joe. Came from Joe. You can thank Joe. All right. Mm-hmm. You're on the clock. Okay. I'm. I. I'm really. I really. Hate You're nervous. This. Yeah. I hate it. Why? I don't know. Just tell I'm not the a story. storyteller. Yes, you are. I'm not a storyteller. Just tell the story. All right. So I, I teased this in the last episode, episode yep. twenty-four, Willie Griffey. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen. Yeah. About the time that. I was in a hotel room in Portland, Oregon at the Benson Hotel. Fancy. About to, and it was, fi- yeah. They don't even let me inside the yeah, lobby yeah, at the Benson yeah, Hotel. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard. Yeah. Um, I was there with my family, which was a rarity, yeah. but it was also because of proximity, because the NCAA tournament, the Washington Huskies had won in the 08-09 season. They had won the league outright. Little side note for everybody talking about the Pac-12 this year. Back then it was the Pac-10. Yeah. 08, 09. Yeah. The Huskies were 14 and 4. Yeah. Win the league. And six of the 10 teams go to the dance. Okay. Six of 10 go to the dance. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say. My how times have changed. My how times have changed. (laughs) Yes. And on top of that. They went five and one in the first game. Oh, they did. Yes. In the first game of the tournament. Cal was the only team of the six that lost. I'm liking it. I'm liking the story okay, so, so far. I'm just throwing that out there. That's yeah. a sidebar. I love the sidebars. All right. Nothing better than the sidebars. Sometimes the sidebars are better than the whole exactly. thing. Exactly. This I'll, might <laughs> this might this might happen. This might happen. So uh Thursday, Saturday in Portland, first game, Mississippi State. They had a kid named Jarvis Varnado, who was a 6'9 string bean shot blocker. Why do we care about you? You don't. I'm telling a story. (laughs) I love it. Rick Stansberry is the head coach of Mississippi. Oh, now you care. Now you know who that is. Yeah, 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 whatever. I I used to always think he looked like Mark Emmert, and I used to always think that (laughs) he wore makeup because I always thought that Mark Emmert wore makeup. And when I look at Rick Stansberry, he has has a face that looks like he's got like some sort of base foundation on it. But go ahead. And Sorry. they had uh, Hansborough's brother, uh, Tyler Hansborough's brother, who was the shooter of Mississippi State. Yeah. He was a young kid then. Okay, but who cares about Mississippi Whatever. State? Whatever. I'm telling you the story. <laughs> you asked for the story. Shut up. All right. Okay. So because the NCAA tournament was in Portland, I pack up like the, 
the Griswolds and we're in the family truckster and we, we head on down <laughs> I five South and, and, um, make our way to Christy Brinkley. To, to, no, show up no, right no, next no, to no, 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 okay. no. We make our way to Portland. Okay. All right. Now remind you, this is 2009. Okay. Okay. So this is 10 years ago. Yeah. I have a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Oh, yeah. I wasn't thinking of those terms. Oh, yeah. Right. I've got little children, yeah. car seats. Yeah. You know, The five-and-a-half-year-old didn't know at the time that he was going to come into some big cash about, <laughs> at about 10, years, at 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I've got, uh, I've got the little ones, the, my son and my daughter, and we make our way down, and it is Thursday the game. We're in the, the Benson Hotel, and we're getting ready to go. And, and I am in full pregame prep, right? Just to give you a picture of the room, we are, we are cramped in a double-double, uh, two queen beds in a regular standard size room in the, in the Benson Hotel. You know, the, the little kid's in a bed, my wife and I in a bed. We got our, our, our clothes and belongings put, a, put away. Now, another sidebar Oh, okay. is that when I travel alone, I don't typically – unpack my bag other than the clothes I wear to the game. So a suit or a shirt, I, I hang everything else, workout gear or whatever. Socks, underwear. It all, it all stays in. How about toiletries? They go in the bathroom? The toiletries goes in the bathroom. All right. I keep them in. The, the stuff b- that you care about that are wrinkly, the stuff that you care about that doesn't get wrinkled gets hung. Everything else no drawers, you don't because you don't know what's been in those drawers. Exactly, we don't know what kind of hands have been in exactly. those. Exactly, we don't know the last time those drawers have been cleaned. There's probably a Bible. Oh, absolutely, probably a Bible. Gideon's. In the yeah. <laughs> All right. So on top of that, yeah, my wife is the exact opposite. As soon as she gets anywhere, she is organized. Oh, she's an attorney. That does not she's, surprise me. She is an attorney. She's that does not very very me. organized. Right. She is bang right. bang bang. Right. So she unpacks. Everything of hers, everything is put away. Yeah. All right. So I am preparing. I'm reading my notes. I'm at the little- Are you a little bit of a slob? I'm at- No. Okay. I'm at the- Not married to my wife. She's type A. Okay. Like, okay. there's no right. such thing. Okay. No. Okay. Um, so we are in the room. You got a five-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, TV's on, cartoons. We're doing the whole bit. Yeah. I'm trying to study- Oh, this was just a bad idea. Mississippi State. This I'm trying bad. to get prepared. Family, yes. No, you got to go on this thing on your own. I'm trying to get prepared just, for no. the game. It's not going to work. I'm I'm showered. I'm yeah. shaved. I'm yeah. dressed. Yeah. I'm reading my last minute notes. Yeah. We're getting ready to, to get to leaving for the arena. Now, Bob Rondo and I always travel together. Famous Bob Rondo, yeah, Hall of Fame broadcaster, yes, and we, nicer man. Yes, we never traveled on the bus in those days with the team. Lorenzo Romar, he, although he was gracious and would always invite us if we wanted to ride, nah, Bob and coach, I would no. always no. rent a car and go on our own. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the game is at two o'clock estimate. Now you know the NCAA tournament; it's estimated because there's games going on, so it's estimated two o'clock. We, we go about our business. Um, I want to say it's 11-ish, and I'm getting ready to, to leave. I'm, I'm kind of saying my goodbyes. I'm picking up some things. And anybody who has a small child, even then or now, r- knows about the, the plastic 
unfoldable stroller. The, oh. the one that you would take oh, on yeah. trips. The, the umbrella one, stroller. The one that you would never use at home. Right. Because it just was ready to fall it's apart. Raggedy. At, it, oh, yeah. yeah you, you, had the, you had the nice permanent one right. at home. Yes. But you, you had the, the one that you dreaded that you took on the road. It's the it. travel stroller. Yeah, yeah. So imagine oh, yeah. two queen beds yeah. and up against the right wall between the bed and the wall, I had set the stroller down, folded up. Okay, my son, now I'm saying the right wall with the right bed and the left wall with the left bed and the window is on the left. <laughs> okay. okay, yeah. My son is sitting in the right bed. My wife is in the bathroom. Yeah. My daughter is on the left bed yeah. watching whatever, whatever they're watching. Yeah. I slide in the little crevice there on the right side between the bed and the wall yeah. and I pick up the stroller. And I lift it up because it's wedged in there and bang, I hit the little element <laughs> on the ceiling. Oh, and you smashed the little, I smashed the little red vial. Oh, you don't want to smash the vial. And out comes <laughs> water and black retardant. Now, hold on. Hold on a second. How wedged in was the... The 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 uh, stroller. So there was a. You were yanking on that thing pretty hard for it to come clean. Did you like lose control of it? Did no, it go up and no. out of your hand. So there was a there was a a suitcase in front of it and it was behind it and I lifted it up to get it <laughs> over the the suitcase and as I lifted it up, bam! bam. I knocked the element. Okay. Alarms. Alarms. Water. Water. Black. <laughs> Gooey retardant comes flooding out of the of the sprinklers above. Okay, my poor beautiful daughter, who is in her sparkling brand new husky cheerleader outfit that my wife had bought her. That associated with this story, I will tweet out. She tried on. Please. She tried on beforehand, and yeah. my wife brought down with her. Oh God! Once I break the vial, I look over, and my daughter, who's on the far bed, it start, stands up, and now she's in the 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 space between the TV and the bed, yeah. looking as water and black retardant <laughs> is just funneling down on her face and her body, screaming and going crazy. <laughs> so, so now, mind you, I am in full suit and tie. I go and I grab her, and I just get pummeled with water and stuff. And get her out. Okay? I pull her. My wife comes running out of the bathroom. Like, what the hell is going on? My son dives on the floor. Chaos in the Hamilton And the alarm hotel. In, the, in the Benson. The entire hotel is being, ev- being evacuated. Now, yeah. the team has yet to leave. They're oh, asking no. the entire hotel to vacate. Oh, no. And this is prior to NCAA oh. game <laughs> in Portland against Mississippi State. The four versus Stansberry. The four versus the 13. <laughs> I call Rondo. I say. Well, Rondo's heading. He's down, no, going no, down he, the stairwell. He, he hasn't point. left. He hasn't left. I call Rondo and I'm like. Do, do you hear the alarm? Yeah, you're not going to believe this. I, I give him the quick version. I'm like, 
I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if the police are going to come, the fire is going to come. I don't know. I might not make the broadcast. I don't know what's. I don't know if they're going to ask me. They're going to question me. But if the alarm's gonna, going on through a whole hotel, the, right? And they start. They start. Everything Make happens. An announcements, ma- announcements, evacuate. evacuate. But people come up because they know the source of where it came from. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the entire hotel starts to evacuate. The team has to leave their rooms early. Everybody has to go out, oh and it's God. minutes before we ha- we're going to leave. Are the other teams in the same hotel? No, no, no. no, no. Every team has their own. Hotel. Every yeah. team has their own. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not thinking about the team. I'm thinking about the fact that my daughter is in this husky cheerleader outfit, that she's covered in this black retardant, and that she's crying, and that my wife is like, you're an idiot, and my son is screaming, and all that stuff. Anyway, fortunately, the hotel moves us to another room. I'm... I'm covered. I've got a shower and change. The one thing that I did was bring an extra suit, bring an extra suit because there's two Two games. I'm expecting us to win. Yeah. But I put the only thing that I ever do in the closet, which was my second suit, my second tie, my second shirt, get to the other room, shower, forgot it, change, you know, shower, (laughs) change and do that. And then what? Not no. And then I do the most unthinkable thing that you could possibly imagine what as my children are still trying to recover as the general managers trying to help us re uh you know get situated in a new in a new room i look at my wife and i'm like thanks honey i gotta go <sighs> and i leave her i just say sorry i gotta get on the air Here's the keys of the car. There's a parking pass. I'm out. And she looked at me (laughs) (laughs) like you are the biggest idiot in the world. Not idiot. Yeah. That's that's the word I used. (laughs) Made it to the game. Yeah. Had to get on the max train in Portland. Yeah. Took the train over because my wife was supposed to take the car and I, I had to jump on. Get on the air. I walk in two minutes before we go on air, call the game. The Huskies roll Mississippi State in advance. Do the, That's an amazing story. I'm not even doing the Casey. It's so good I'm not All doing right. the Casey Jones. All I'll right. do face first another time. But right. did everybody know what the source of the alarms were? No. Did fire trucks come? Oh, full fire trucks. Did, did, when you got there, was like, did you ever tell, hey, Lorenzo, you know how you were they evacuated so on your Cameron, account? Cameron Dollar's wife. Yeah. Maureen Dollar and my wife are very, very close friends. And so she was supposed to ride the bus and yeah, and she's like, oh my gosh, what happened? And do you need anything? And our kids are roughly the same age. And she's like, yeah. can I get you guys anything right. and whatever? So they hadn't left yet. So people knew that the reason the alarms went off was our room. Right. It was they our just stuff. didn't know what had happened they did not within know the stuff. room. Yes. Yeah. So now the other part, just real, real quick, because I know I'm going long on this, is... We did not have my daughter's clothes in the closet. So my daughter's cheerleader's outfit, everything that she had as a little kid, her favorite blanket, if parents are out there, her favorite blanket, completely destroyed, no clothes. We made a run to the Nike employee store, store, got her some sweats and some new shoes. And she's like, she came out, she was full, you know, run DMC (laughs) rapper. She had the sweatsuit. She was like, she was, she was, she was, she was, 
She was down oh. That's that's the uh, Hotel Benson. That's an amazing story, and you you are a, a much better storyteller yeah. than you think. Do your kids have any memory of that? My son does a little bit because he was five. My daughter, not so much at two and a half. How about your wife? <laughs> uh, let's just say that... I we were going to have her call in for this bit, yeah. and I'm sure her version of it would have been a little different. Can we get her on another episode you, to give her just to give her two cents worth? No, no, no. she won't share with us. She probably two, would. Now remember, you, I'm dying you, to hear you her had two cents you worth. had Michelle on your radio program once before. She, I did. She yeah, you did, and she um she, she tends, stole the show. She tends to not hold back. Can we please have her on just Maybe. In, on episode 26 just to give her rendition not no rendition of the story her two cents were i would love because she's so well spoken i would love just to hear her memories of that of that moment well, when she when hey, you said i gotta go i, I gotta to go. go i gotta go i got to go, I gotta go. <laughs> hey like my dad to answer your question like my dad used to say to me when i was a little kid when there was stuff that i asked you yeah, for yeah we'll see jason we'll, we'll see that's my line yeah uh, i get in trouble for uh anyway that's enough i'm not even going down the so I owe you Casey Jones face first, okay. but it's a good one. But it's not like that. So uh, episode Sherm. Sherm. Episode number 25, like it or not, episode Sherm is in the books. <laughs>